Flower House, Part Two, by Ina Tiernan Bailey. It was late afternoon when I woke up, finished showering, and poured myself some cereal. Michael had called hours ago, and we spoke plenty despite my sleepy delirium. But he'd let me go back to sleep since I had to wake up again later for him. My nose crinkled at the stale flavor of the knockoff cereal swimming around in my oat milk, so I added Cookie Crisps to my shopping list under all the restock of cleaning supplies. I remembered his obscure pancake brand was due to restock online soon too, so I created a shopping reminder on my phone. Then I got up and put together a fruit bowl for myself instead. Once I returned from the store a few hours later, I tied up my hair and started with cleaning. First came the dishes. These were easy since I wasn't much of a big eater. Most of the plates were from yesterday with Michael. They sparkled once I finished, and I smiled into the last glass cup. At least I did seem to be a wonderful homemaker for my love. Next came the mopping. Most of the house was wooden floors, so I picked out the wood-specific cleaning solution and knocked it off my to-do list in less than thirty minutes. While it dried, I sprinkled the carpet cleaning powder across our bedroom and then the guest one. I plugged the vacuum in to let it warm up for the cleaning ahead of it. When I remembered, I'd forgotten to buy light bulbs for, you know, that spot. The vacuum roared to life with the press of a button as I pulled my phone out of my pocket to order an instant delivery. Then I started on the carpet while music shuffled through my earphones. I was just about finished with the second run through of the guest bedroom when I heard a thump. It was quiet, as if encouraging you to believe you didn't hear it, but made itself known as a sudden weight over my bones that could not be ignored. I scrambled to turn off the music. What was that? I asked myself. My eyes darted to every corner. The guest bedroom, with its finely combed carpet, looked like a sparkling hotel room, comforting as such. But I sensed some sort of disarray had to be waiting on the other side of the door. I had no idea what it could be, but despite my lungs screaming as the panic continued to build inside in anticipation, I peeked beyond the doorframe to the right of the laundry room. My broom had fallen over where I set it against the wall, and it flipped over the empty bucket where the mopping water would be mixed eventually for the tiles in the bathroom and the laundry room itself. But that was all. The laundry room door stood firm and shut as I continued to search for the disturbance. Complete silence permeated the walls. I thought I must have misheard, or perhaps my anxiety of Michael driving so far and so long caused a sort of phantom reaction. So I eased myself out of the room and into the kitchen, where I could have some iced water as I settled down. I poured myself a cup and sat in front of the television, where I turned it on out of reflex. A playlist of songs loaded up on the screen from where Michael must have left off, and I let them continue. Deep and charming bass songs with ambiguous lyrics helped me forget of my earlier fretting. So I set my half-full cup down not too long after and wandered into the bedroom again to finish cleaning. A text came from Michael an hour later. He was exhausted, he said. So he pulled into a truck stop to give himself a break. <laughs> 
How is traffic? I asked him after the obligatory and sarcastic congratulations for making it so far. He called me an idiot and said it sucks more than I do. To which, of course, I said my Mr. Grumpy Cat was delirious and sent him a racy selfie with the mop. In case you thought I wasn't doing anything, I wrote, I miss you, my sunshine. Just then, the doorbell rang. I'd forgotten I'd ordered anything, so I shrugged my shirt back on and proceeded to get the door. But as I walked under the lights with dying bulbs and thus remembered, I hurried. My cell phone let me know that Michael responded, but I tucked it into my pocket. The delivery driver greeted me with a warm smile and held out the bag. I took it, thanked him, and was in the middle of closing the door when he asked me what kind of flowers I had growing. What? I said. I had not planted any in the front yard. That was going to wait until Michael could join me like a few other decorative projects around the house. He pointed to the side of the house. My grandmother is a big gardener. I'm just shocked I'm seeing one she's never planted before. Do you mind if I take a photo? I shrugged. Hydrangeas? Or maybe something like that, I said. Half a dozen of our neighbors grew different colors of those and similar flowers, so I figured they must have sprouted for us too, wherever he saw them. Sure, you can take a picture. Thanks again, I said. He nodded and disappeared behind the fan palm Michael had planted with a friend from work earlier that week. It was a housewarming gift from a local tree nursery owned by his pharmacy manager's family at the edge of Gilbert, and he hadn't stopped fretting about the sprinklers for it even now. It was important and he cared so much for it because it was a gift, and this was a quality of his I could never stop admiring. I heard the delivery driver say, Wow! But I closed the door just as the sound of his phone dialing a number on speaker began. I dragged the ladder from the storage nook near our room and mauled open the light bulb box. I can't explain why I felt strange, as if the delivery driver was watching me through the walls, but I screwed the lights on as if he could see his delivery was truly complete and that he should leave. I sat under the lights for so long I lost count of the time. Even through the walls and despite the music from the TV, I could hear him babbling on and on in Spanish. They were broken sentences, as he sometimes spoke quieter and other times not so much. And the voice on speaker echoed like an old radio tucked in a tunnel. I could almost feel his shoes shifting around the dirt on my chest and I wanted him to leave so much it turned into a sour pain in my belly, but I was paralyzed under the brilliant and new lights, surrounded by the quiet of the empty house. At last, I returned to sanity when I heard a car engine rev up and a door shut not long after. He was gone, and I can breathe. At this point, Michael had sent me over a dozen messages. I decided I had enough time to finish the rest of the cleaning later that night, so I fanned myself out on the couch and <laughs> FaceTimed him despite not feeling like myself. I tell you, seeing his face made all my irrational and suffocating fears melt away. He asked me what was wrong because I'd managed to bite deep into my lips under the cage of the lights, but I told him everything was just fine. And it really was. 
The warmth of his voice filled the silence between the rigid walls and so the house became a home again. I woke up hearing Spanish at 4 a.m. Michael and I talked for hours straight and he even kept FaceTime on for me to see his beautiful face, even as he mumbled and seethed about terrible drivers in the middle of our conversations. I remembered seeing the call end in a blur and reading his text while I was half asleep. He'd written, Good night. Sleep tight. Call you when I wake up at home. Thanks for staying awake with me, Chica. It made sense that I would wake up on the same couch with Spanish still rattling in my head if I was so desperately wanting to cling to consciousness, even as I read. But I blinked a few times and the voice continued like an echo stuck inside a well. I sat up and stared, bleary-eyed at the black TV screen trying to work out where the voice was coming from. The faint sound of the AC world and I realized as mysteriously as it had appeared the voice had also gone. I ran my fingers through my hair, confused, and glanced where the light bulbs had stayed on this whole time. The rest of the house stood empty with metal sentinel appliances or stiff wooden furniture frames. Near-perfect darkness swallowed all the corners where the light couldn't reach, so it seemed it only stood together as blobs of rooms by sheer and stubborn willpower. This house, it seemed to stretch into infinity when he wasn't home and I wondered if it was because Michael was its favorite human in all of existence ever too. I rubbed my eyes and then reached for my phone to check if he'd written or tried to call. The battery had drained throughout our call though so I sighed and forced myself up to snap it over the charger just below the TV. Before I could set it down the voice returned. The delivery driver, Spanish, infiltrated the room like a poisonous smoke curling around me like a rope. My soul tore through my skin. I twisted myself about to find every single angle around me motionless, and yet his voice and that dreaded speakerphone feedback ricocheted in my ears as if they stood next to me. I bolted to the front door and peered out the window. The car! The car was still there! It sat idle with its hazard lights on and clouds of exhaust puffed behind it. I didn't understand how it was possible when I'd heard his car leave long before, but then I glanced at the neighbor's house across the street. Their beige sedan was gone and all their window blinds shut tight. I must have heard them leave before the night. I flew back to my phone. I must tell Michael of the stranger around our home because he would know what to do. I was afraid of calling the police because I'd never done so before and besides, they would ask for my name and my age and my phone screen lit up my face so I rushed to cover it just in case the delivery driver could know I'd woken thanks to the light catching in our windows. My heart slowed in my chest as I peeked through the little spaces I allowed between my fingers. <sighs> there was Michael's photo as my lock screen. A happenstance one I'd taken with the sun shining over his curly auburn hair. During the first time we'd met for morning breakfast at a local cafe and he'd caught me red-handed when he'd turned from watching a dove on the electric wires not far, but that was all. I crumbled to the floor as I stared at it. You don't understand. 
He was supposed to meet the puppy tonight and send me photos. He was gonna have a list of things he loved about the breed and didn't based on conversation with the neighbor. He told me he'd meet the mother of the litter and the father too to make sure the puppy would come from great personalities before anything and that he would FaceTime me when he'd have the puppy in his room and all to himself, yet there was absolutely nothing. I glanced at the time and thought he'd had plenty of hours to sleep since he arrived yesterday around dinner time, so he must have stuck to the plan. Unless something happened on his way there? <laughs> My hand started shaking. What if there was an accident? I bit into my lips. What if Michael was somewhere in a California hospital tucked behind a web of wires and IVs? I grabbed my hair and couldn't stop contorting it. It was my fault. I shouldn't have fallen asleep. The succulent aroma of coffee filled the room. I closed my eyes and remembered my love waking in the morning and making us both a cup. He would lean against the counter with his hair flipped in all directions, yawning every ten seconds or so, but he'd wait patiently for both to brew. He had a doe-eyed look until the first sip and I would kiss his cheek as they'd bloom. And this is how he would wake every morning with me. The pit in my stomach opened up as I considered the possibility that the other morning could have been the last time I ever lived it. I never took a picture, I never considered the faults in our memory that would allow me to one day forget the little things about him that made my world a heaven after all. No matter how hard I tried to hold on, I thought we would have 30 years and more in this house. Together. I was going to find his missing left airpod every other night. I would see him smile like the sun once my body bloomed and gifted us both with our firstborn. He would find my first graze while helping me comb my hair and I would almost cry, but he'd hold me tight and say what a wonderful life. The walls and their paint and all the pieces of furniture swam around me as a churlish stranger, so I called him, begging him or anyone to answer each time but in vain. I searched for hospitals near his path in California. There were too many to cold call, so I set my phone down and closed my eyes. I needed to stay calm, for his sake. I couldn't cry or I wouldn't stop and he needed me to stay strong. A nurse would find his phone and see my many missed calls or if he was close to home then his mother or father would see them and call me back. They knew who I was, I had a special name on his phone, yes. Somebody would call back immediately. Then a thought dashed through the storm in my heart and my head. I turned and stared through the dark kitchen to where our espresso machine lingered. It sat on standby waiting for Michael's fingers to awaken it just like the other morning. So why did I smell coffee? The repugnant smell of a medicine cabinet invaded my nose. I peeled my forehead off the bathroom counter and brought myself to my feet. Where was I? I glanced behind my shoulder and recognized the petals on the shower curtain, so I was in the guest bathroom. How was it even possible to fall asleep on a tile floor with your face glued to the cabinet? I glanced at my shirt. It had an enormous dark stain. But then I saw the spilled NyQuil bottle near the sink and understood. I peeled the shirt off and leaned over the sink where I cleaned myself up with cold water and a soapy rag. 
It was more viscous than I remembered, but then again, it was an older bottle kept in imperfect conditions from before Michael. I (laughs) probably shouldn't have drank it. I recalled all the happenings from the twilight hours and resolved that I must have been mad from the lack of proper sleep, otherwise all of it was impossible. The medication helped me catch up on it and I admitted I felt less anxious, but still, I would survey the house to prove it to myself. All this talk of the inanimate house hating me was absolutely insane, too. After all, it was Michael and I whose names were on the deed. I was equally its overlord. I scrubbed the last of the NyQuil away and walked into our bedroom, where I pulled one of Michael's shirts out of his dresser and slipped it on. My phone sat on the bed, so I sat in its place after I plucked it. A string of text messages waited for me from Michael. I rushed to open them and read them as fast as I could, and all the while they soothed the panic still staining my veins. He said he was sorry he scared me, but that he was just fine. He got home later than expected, crashed like a plane, and slept so long all the plans had been slightly delayed. He closed off with his father having plans he didn't anticipate, so he would send me pictures later. I thought it was quite abrupt and he deviated quite a bit but understood and let it go. He often complained about being the invisible child but his parents spoiled him so when he visited home. I apologized for being hysterical and mentioned my rough night then told him not to worry because I was better. He could respond when he was ready. I microwaved a frozen breakfast burrito then watched the espresso machine as I ate it. Its dim light confirmed it was still on standby. I noticed a Darth Vader coffee mug stood next to it and couldn't recall Michael using it or even seeing it at all before, but it was very in character for him, so it must have just been new. I brewed myself a cup of English breakfast in the mug and enjoyed small sips between my breakfast until both were gone. Once I finished, I walked up to the window near the front door and peered outside past the blinds. There was no strange car near the side of the curb, but just to be certain, I thought it wouldn't hurt to check if a similar car must have intended to park near the neighbors and ended up moving. I opened the door and stepped outside. Faint clouds hemmed the sky like curtains and I thought maybe it would sprinkle later tonight. Then I remembered it was already dusk, so that couldn't happen. I was thinking about what to do with the messy olive tree in the backyard since storms always dirtied the pool water with its frequent fruits as I walked to the edge of the driveway, but then noticed something was wrong. I stopped in my tracks. Michael's fan palm was gone. Just gone. In fact, there were beds of tulips in its place and an oleander bush not too far off. I blinked, then I turned around to the house. I pinched my arm, confirming I was indeed awake, then looked back. The new plants were still there. There had to be a logical explanation for this. I brought up my hands and glanced under my nails. There was some dirt tucked under the overgrown thing, so I searched my memory to recall when I had decided to do some yard work yesterday. I resolved it must have been the NyQuil that turned the memory into mud since I woke up in the guest bathroom anyways, which neither of us used, but at least I did a great job planting. 
I wasn't happy with Michael's work being gone at all, and he wouldn't appreciate it either, but I'm sure there was some good reason for me removing it. I just couldn't remember. Maybe it stopped taking? C come to think of it, the palm had been a little saggy on the tips. Although, I walked closer to the oleander. The dirt under it looked very uneven. I made a mental note to buy more dirt from the home store before it closed later, just in case a storm did come. How reckless would it be for me to let this one not take either when it could have been preventable? I'd have to put plenty more layers around so the rain wouldn't expose the roots and leave them vulnerable to the rays of sun or hungry fungi once the storm passed. I nodded and returned to my original quest. I glanced left and right at the edge of our sidewalk. It was strange. I expected to not find a clone of the delivery driver's car lying about, but not so much the empty driveways all around. Did everyone decide to go on vacation the same weekend as my Michael? I swore almost everyone was home yesterday. Yes. I remembered seeing the far left house with its soccer mom sedan waiting on the driveway when I returned from the store. And the red old Lincoln of that cute grandma who had frequent garage sales stood on the street too since one of her grown grandchildren must have come to visit. At least, those two were home yesterday. Then, since I thought of the neighbor who loves to water his grass across the street every morning, I glanced at his house. Just like yesterday, it was sealed up with tight blinds and no car, but unlike yesterday, the weeds had grown over his grass by two inches. I knew weeds grew like tumors, but that quickly? Also, what was with the blinds? First of all, we were a gated community, but secondly, even when the retired couple left for a weekend trip, they left the front door blinds open for their cats to get some light. It was also strange that the old man didn't have one of his sons in the valley come take care of the weeds. The man's emerald lawn was his pride and joy, or so it seemed, since he never skipped one morning to tend to it, or else he'd have someone else do it. I felt a sudden pain on the side of my head. I closed my eyes as I tried to rub it away. Here I was whipping myself into anxiety yet again. How many times did Michael say I don't pay attention to small details, like where I put down my phone or which key I try to use on the door when I can't remember the code? I'm always random and it makes him laugh, yet there I stood figuring I knew all these small details about my neighbors. So many things can change overnight and it was not my responsibility to explain them all away. Some things just weren't meant to be known. <sighs> I let it all go, pulled my phone up to check if Michael had sent any texts and spun around to the house. My phone slipped out of my hands and its screen broke into smithereens as I screamed, the house, the house, it was encoded in the horrid brown stucco Michael loved so much, it was cream siding with new red windows and a small Italian flag waving near the door. Welcome home, it said, along with a live, laugh, love sash across a wreath adorned with acorns and fool's gold. They taunted me like trolls on a Christmas tree. I glanced up to the house again, but this time the brown stucco glanced back at me. I dared not to blink or else it would change again, like shrugging on a new coat. But behind the window near the front door, a shadow gathered itself together in broad daylight. Its spasm and flickered 
just like before. If it could have a face below its clouds of hell, it would be grinning at me like a demon from a rabid fever dream, as if to confirm it held an appendage up to the glass, which morphed into a pointing gaunt hand with mere black fingers and brittle bones. It ricocheted down my spine as bolts of ice. Tap, tap, tap. Michael will never come back. Flower House will be continued.